Well, we're on, uh, I think it's week number five, going through the Sermon on the Mount. The series is called Climb, and uh, it's been good so far. You guys have been encouraged so far? I, I, I promised that we would get through the Beatitudes in a certain amount of weeks, but I have to, I have to change my mind on that. It's just, there's just too much stuff. It's too good. And so I said I was going to do, the, do all of the Beatitudes, not the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, in nine weeks, and it's just impossible. Do you guys forgive me? Okay, so thank you. That was a strong yes. We, we forgive you, Tony. I mean, we're at church. We have to, Kat, right? Well, today we're going to look at um, Matthew 5, 7. So go ahead and turn there. And this is where he says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And um, I tell you, you know, as you start studying and, and stuff, sometimes there's just, there's just so much that comes to you that you can't, you can't talk about all those things uh, in, in this Sunday morning setting. There's just not enough time. And, and mercy is definitely one of those topics. It's just vast. Uh, in fact, if you, if you really kind of think about it, that's what this book is about. <laughs> mercy. It's, the topic is just unending. And, and it's, you think about mercy, it's interchangeable in Scripture with words like love, love and kindness, kindness, um, Goodness. I mean, there's all kinds of, of expressions of the word uh, mercy and the action. And even when, even when words aren't used, uh, actions and attitudes and, and happenings and dealings center around God's mercy. And so this morning, um, I'm going to just show you a few things that I feel like God would speak to us this morning that I feel like specifically would encourage us. So, um, so if you want to start writing, da- writing things down, we're going to jump right in. Is that cool? If you're taking notes, the first thing I want you to write is that uh, mercy is God's gig. Look at, real quickly, Exodus 25. So go ahead and turn there. Exodus 25. And if you're not familiar with this chapter, this chapter is basically where it uh, breaks down the furniture and the articles that are in the tabernacle, the tabernacle of Moses, where... Israel would worship God. And starting in verse 10, it talks about the Ark of the Covenant and it lays out some, some specific things about the way it's constructed and, and all that kind of stuff. And then, you know, it, to place it in the Holy of Holies. And then I want you to look real quick at verse 17. It says, You shall make a mercy seat of pure gold, two and a half cubits long, and one a half cubits wide, one and a half cubits wide. You shall make two cherubim of gold, make them of hammered work at the two ends of the mercy seat. Make one cherub at one end and one cherub at the other end, and you shall make the cherubim of one piece with the mercy seat at its two ends. The cherubim shall have their wings spread upward, covering the mercy seat. Do you notice how many times it's saying mercy seat? We should have done something funny every time it says mercy seat, like... Or, wow, or, you know, what some sort of noise, I don't know. Should we start over and try it? No, we don't have to do that. The faces of the cherubim are to be turned toward the mercy seat. I love you guys. We love you too. Yes. <laughs> now I'm distracted, I lost my place. You shall make four, and, and please keep humoring me if I say it again. 
The cherubim shall have their wings spread upward, covering the mercy seat with their wings and facing one another. The faces of the cherubim are to be turned toward the mercy seat. You shall put the mercy seat on top of the ark, and in the ark you shall put the testimony which I will give you. There I will meet with you. Everybody say, meet with you. And from the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim, which are upon the ark of the testimony, I will speak to you about all that I will give you in commandment for the sons of Israel. Inside the holy place is the Ark of the Covenant. And just real quickly, I want you to think about that because we're talking about blessings. We're talking about um, blessed are those. And I want you to think about the three articles that, are, um, that were said to be inside the holy place. And it talks about in Hebrews 9. And I don't have time to go into all a bunch of teaching on that, but right there you can see the benefits of being in God's presence and, and, and why you would even want to be there. You think about the Ten Commandments. That's God's protection. The law came to bring about the knowledge of sin. If you, if you will follow these things, they will keep you right before me. I'm trying to protect you by setting these things before you, by giving you the law. You think about the, the manna. Why would they keep the manna in there? Because it, it points to God's faithfulness in provision. He provided for them day after day after day. And um, to make a long story short, Aaron's staff blossomed because God was saying, this is the guy. This is the family that I'm going to set apart for the priesthood. It was his way of showing approval. And so those are the things that we've already talked about are benefits from knowing God, being in his presence. We experience his protection, his provision. We want to be there because God approves those. Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who doesn't lift his soul up to, to idols. And goes on, he, say, he shall receive a blessing and righteousness from the Lord. Right on top of his provision, his protection, his approval seats this mercy seat. In fact, it says, there I will meet with you. And so I just want to say this real quick. This is God's gig. We're, God does what he does in the universe. He acts like God and he, he does the things that he does while sitting upon a throne of mercy. All of that to say that mercy is God's gig. This is, this is what He's about, you guys. He is about mercy. He has provided mercy. He reigns and rules the galaxy for mercy. If there's anything in you that has this idea that God, His first chess move towards you or whatever, inclination towards you is anything other than mercy, if I can do nothing else today, I would like to wipe that off your ledger. I would like to change your mind about that. And, and the reason I say that is because some of you, uh, including myself, we have seen things, done things, experienced things, had things done to us that are so foul, sinful. Insert your own word there, because you probably have been for years inserting your own word there. That we think we are beyond this thing, and, and God's so mad at me, and I could never stand in the holy, I could never climb the holy hill of the Lord. My hands aren't clean, my heart's not pure. Listen, that is not what the Word says. His first inclination towards you is mercy. He went through all this trouble to show these types and these pictures and these things to show you, I rule and reign with mercy. Why would it be any different from you? for you? And that brings me to the second thing, is that mercy is God's gift. It's a gift. And I say that mercy is, a God, is God's gift because what, what we tend to do is we tend to do something to earn that mercy that God offered. Yeah, I heard about the mercy. I heard about the forgiveness thing. And man, I've been working towards it my whole life. That's not even the way it works. You can work all day long and still not 
sense feel the forgiveness, the mercy of the Lord? How many of you have ever been there? How many of you have ever been there? A lot of my early Christian faith was works-oriented. I got saved when I was 19. Before I was saved, I, w- I was involved in all kinds of just gross stuff. You know, the kind of stuff that you wish you could go back and just forget. You know, it was just, it was just this kind of sin, that kind of sin, sexual sins, lying and cheating and stealing and just all kinds of stuff. And when you're a new believer, you're like, oh, and the enemy comes in with his condemnation, which in Christ, there, there is no condemnation. But he comes in, he tries to remind you of that, and you feel like, I can never get close to God. But if you're like me, you think, well, maybe I can at least work, work, work this out. I'll work this out with God. And I was like, there's nothing to work out. Put your faith in my son. And as soon as you do, you activate, because of the bloodshed of Jesus, you activate this mercy that comes from my throne, and you get to listen to my music where I play at my gig. <laughs> you hear what I'm saying? And it's a free gift. Um, go to Ephesians 2 real quick. I tell you, I've been thinking about this all week, obviously because I'm, I'm preaching on it, but, but beyond that, just the implications of, of what this means for us. This is a free gift. I don't have to earn that. Ephesians 2, starting in... in uh, well, we'll go ahead and start right there at the beginning. And you were dead in your trespasses and in your sins. Give a slight hoop if that was you. Yeah, it's kind of like, hoop. Yeah, we try to forget it and you want me to hoop about it? We can hoop and I'll show you the reason we can hoop in a minute. Go ahead and hoop. I was dead in my trespasses. Hoop. (laughs) Stay with me. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, talking about the enemy, Satan, of the spirit that is now working in all the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly have lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging in the desires of our flesh and of the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But, okay, we, we were children of wrath. In other words, what we deserved was just to be smited, smitten, smoked, whatever. But God, look at this, but God, being rich in mercy, because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And raised up with Him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come, everybody say ages to come, so that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches, those two phrases right there, ages to come, surpassing riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Mercy is, the, is a gift. He goes on to say, not as a result of works, so that someone may boast and say, look what I did to get right with God. For we, were, we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. We were created for good works, and we will do good works, but it's, not, it's because we are in Him, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. And I'm looking at this verse, and there's a few things that stick out to me. First of all, He's rich in mercy, which means... You think about God's riches and, and the cattle on a thousand hills and all that kind of stuff. Listen, that means that His mercy never runs out. 
Sometimes we make up, and remember it says his mercies are new every morning, but sometimes we wake up in the morning and we think, oh, I feel terrible for something you may have just did or something that the enemy reminds you that you did a long time ago. And we think, oh, today's the day that God's mercy ran out. We may not say that, but that's how we walk and we act and we live. I know I do. But he's saying there is a mercy that I possess. And and there's another place where it says that the Lord is gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, rich in love, which can also be translated mercy. Some of you say mercy. He's he's rich in mercy. It's abundant. It never runs out. Why? Because that's his gig. That's his gig. He's rich in mercy. It never runs out. Look what it says. Because of, his, because of His great love, which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, He made us alive in Christ. It goes on to say, so that in the ages to come. Now, what does the ages to come mean? It means forever. Again, He's rich in mercy. His mercy lasts forever. Amen? He goes on to say this. He might, so that, he, uh, so that in ages to come, he might show the, and he, he, just to emphasize, he uses the word surpassing riches of his grace. It means that you have grace, but then you have the surpassing riches of his grace. You have the grace that, eh, like for me, you know, sometimes my grace runs out at the end of the day with my kids. I'm like, y'all, you guys to go to bed. But dad, can you know, you might want to go to bed now before I get the stick, you know. Listen, you got that kind of grace, you know, and God gives us grace to be parents, but you know what I'm talking about. At the end of the day, you're like... But I'm talking about a grace that does not... It's surpassing. It surpasses that grace. You guys hear what I'm saying? There's the grace that we try to work up in the flesh. I'm trying to be gracious. I'm trying to be kind. I'm trying to be loving. Ours runs out. His does not. For ages to come, the surpassing riches of His grace. Romans 6.23, most of us are familiar with it. Roman road and all that. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our, our Lord. Now listen, it doesn't say mercy. It doesn't say anything about it right there, but it's one of those verses that implies the mercy of God. For the wages of sin is death. This is what you deserve. But the the... Entirety of the scripture says that there's something that covered over all that, and it's his mercy. But the free gift of God is a salvation that comes by faith through grace, according to his mercies in our Lord. So I want you to write this down. God's mercy is forever and free. God's mercies are forever and free. If you think it's running out on you, that this was the day where God was like, man, I'm tired. It got, my sin wore God out. Man, I want to just encourage you that that's not true. His mercy lasts forever because He's rich in it. He's got enough to last a, a lifetime. Infinite. And it's free. So not only has it not run out, you don't have to work so hard to get it. Amen? Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us therefore, it's kind of moving on to our, our climb topic here, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace. Okay, to the throne of grace. It's called the throne of grace here. We also know that it's called in Exodus 25 and several other places, even in Hebrews, where it's called what? The mercy seat. So we can say it that way. Let us therefore come boldly to the mercy seat of God, or the throne of grace, 
that we may obtain, oh, it says it right here, <laughs> that we may obtain what? So when we come boldly to the throne of grace, what do we get? Mercy. Why? Because that's why He's wanting to meet with us. Like we said earlier, God wants to meet us with mercy. This is what He wants to extend to everyone, I believe. His mercy. If He has so much of it, what's the point of having so much of it if you can't spend it? You ever thought about that? You know, it's tax season. You guys are about to get your big returns. And you know you have something that you got your mind on. I'm going straight to whatever, Dillard's or whatever. Am I wrong? Some of you are like, man, I just got to pay off some bills. <laughs> I understand that too. But what's the point of having it if you can't spend it? That's how I feel about it. Let us come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in times of need. Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? And then it goes, it says, who may stand in his holy place? And we've, we've brought attention to that word stand before. It's, it, there is a, when we come before God, because of Christ, we are able to stand in His holy place and worship and enjoy. Can we bow down? Can we kneel? Can we lie, you know, prostrate on the ground? Yes. But we can come boldly. Not because of our works, not because we're worthy, but because Christ was worthy and His blood was shed for the very purpose of us being able to obtain his mercy. Amen? This is good news. We don't ponder on these things enough. That's why sometimes we come into a worship service and, and our, our, we're just like, it does everything in us just to, just to get some energy out to sing a song or clap. But when we have this going through our heart and our mind, it just, our heart explodes with praise, you guys. We've got to be reminded of the mercy of God. Let me go ahead and do, give you the last one. Um, mercy is God's gig. Mercy is God's gift. But listen, and this is, this is really the, the big implication here that Jesus is talking about. He says, Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the ones who show mercy, for they shall receive mercy. Mercy is our gift. Mercy is our gift. So mercy is God's gift to us, but then mercy is our gift in and through Christ to others. And this is where it gets a little complicated for us. If, you, if you're okay with receiving God's mercy, if you're okay with that part, yeah, I get that, man, and I wake up every morning, mercy's anew every morning, you know, hallelujah, you know. You're good with that part. Well, here's the part where we're usually not good at, and that is extending that gift to others. And that's really the majority of what Jesus is talking here. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are those who... Because they understand the mercies of God and what has been given to them free, even when they were um, objects of wrath, blessed are those who understand what God has done and they're willing to offer that to others. You guys, every day we have opportunities to show mercy, one way or the other. Grace and mercy. Sometimes we do, sometimes we don't. We don't. Maybe it depends upon whether or not we thought God ran out of mercy that day for us. But this is where the rubber meets the road, and this is where it's hard. I don't know if you're familiar with Jonah, and this is, this is what came to my mind. And then as I read it, I was like, oh my goodness, it even says something about it. Then Jonah, you guys know the story of Jonah? Jonah was a prophet. But it never, you guys know what I'm talking about. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of a fish. You guys know the story. God told him as a prophet to go to Nineveh and tell them about my, let's say, uh, mercy. Jonah said, I'm not going there. Those people are creepy and they might hit me with fish, you know. 
And so he didn't go. He went the exact opposite direction of what God said to do and to go. So the, then the Lord, and we know the story, he got on the boat. Um, anyway, he ended up in the belly of a whale. I don't have time to go through all the story. Inside of the belly of the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord, and this was his prayer. He said, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol, which is another word for, for hell or the depths or the grave, out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. You, for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All of your billows and your waves passed over me. And then I said, I have been cast out of your sight. Does that sound familiar? Who else do we know that was cast out of his sight or cast out of his presence? Adam and Eve. Yet I will look again towards your holy temple. The waters surrounded me. He said, I, I was cast out, but I am going to pursue. I will look again that way. Even though I was kicked this way, oh man, I will, what? Pursue God. I will look again toward your holy temple. The, um, the waters surrounded me, even to my soul. The deep closed around me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. Gross. I went down to the moor, uh, moorings of the mountains. The earth with its bars closed behind me forever. Yet... You have brought up my life from the pit. Why? Because he's full of mercy. O Lord, my God, you have brought me up from the pit. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer went up to you into your holy temple. In verse 8, look what it says. Just kind of this phrase right there. Those who regard... I mean, it's just like, whoa, did he switch topics? No, he didn't. Those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy. Those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercies. And there's several things that are going on there. But you have to realize, the day that God said, I need you to go to Nineveh. And he said, I ain't going to Nineveh. And he went in the opposite direction. What he did is he put himself on the throne. God was on the throne of mercy and said, I'm going to send someone to communicate my heart of mercy to Nineveh. Jonah said, I'm not going. God, you just get off the throne. I'm going to step on the throne here, and I'm going to have a. I'm going to be on the throne of judgment and wrath and whatever. And he went the opposite direction. As soon as he did, who was he worshiping? He was worshiping himself. So he's got to be saying in this, he's got to be talking about his own idolatry. Scholars also believe that he was talking somewhat of the idolatry of the people on the boat that he was on before he jumped off and all that stuff. But he's for sure talking about his own idolatry. He says, those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy. Well, yeah, that's why he's in the, in the belly of the ship. Being in the belly of the, I mean, the fish. In that moment, he was experiencing what seemed like anything but mercy. But even in that, it was mercy. God's trying to change his heart. He said this, I will, but I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. So I want you to look at that. Those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy. But I will sacrifice to you with a voice of thanksgiving. He goes on to say, I will pay what I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. So the Lord spoke to the fish. It threw up and Jonah came out on land. Now I want you to think about what he says. Those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy. Those who worship worthless idols forsake their mercy. But I, he changed his mind, I will sacrifice to you. It makes me think of Romans 12.1. Therefore, in view of... God's mercies. And you have to remember Romans 1 through up till, up till, you know, Romans 1 through 11. It's basically laying out how worthless we were 
how we deserved wrath. This is what we sowed. This is what we ought to reap. He paints that picture and paints a picture of the gospel and, and how Jesus came to redeem and to forgive and to show mercy. And then in verse 12, he shifts gears. Now, in view of the mercy that I just spelled out in chapters 1 through 11, in view of that mercy, now that you understand that God's gig is mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing. And that is more than just don't do bad things with your hands and with your eyes. Don't engage in this kind of activity. It is that, but it's talk, that's an expression saying everything within you needs to bow to Jesus. Everything within you needs to um, imitate Him. It's another one of Paul's messages. Be imitators of Christ. And you, in view of God's mercy, I know it's a sacrifice to extend mercy to that guy because really, he really hurt you. He really messed you up. That situation, that parent, that uncle, that boss, that whatever was ugly to you. I understand. You just, all you want, you're just mad. You're seething. You just want them to be swallowed up by a fish. (laughs) But in view of God's mercy, the gift that you have freely received, how can you not offer that mercy to that person? There may be somebody in your life that has hurt you beyond words. You may be someone that's hurt someone beyond words. There's only one way to reconcile that on either end. It's mercy. It's mercy. It's extending mercy. Loving kindness. Kindness. Forgiveness. All these words that Scripture lays out as as indicating, implicating mercy. In view of God's mercy, since this is who He is and what He's done, and He's given it to you as a free gift, you have got to forgive others. Withholding God's mercy from others is an act of idolatry. According to what Jonah was saying, an idolatry, and that forfeits God's mercy towards us. Now, I don't know how that works completely because it's beyond my understanding. But blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And that's not the only place in Scripture it says that. It says it all over the place. Proverbs 11. The merciful man does himself good, but the cruel man does himself harm. So when we're not merciful, we're harming ourselves in some way. That's another great way to say it. Matthew 6, Jesus talks about it in another way. For if you forgive others of their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. Again, I don't know the the heights and depths of what that implies, but it sounds like I better be on my mercy game. You hear what I'm saying? I don't reserve the right to hold someone in contempt. That's what we do. We hold people in contempt. God's like, you don't reserve the right to do that. Because you've experienced mercy, you've got to be willing to give mercy. Because you've been forgiven, you've got to freely forgive. Matthew 18 um, is that story of the guy who, uh, real quickly, the boss... Um, he had all kinds of debt or whatever, and he was forgiven all this debt. I mean, like bunches of money. Scholars believe it, it was millions of dollars worth of money, that, a debt that he was forgiven. And he's like, oh, sweet. And then he goes over here, and somebody owed him money. And he basically beat the snot out of him, and it was awful to him because they didn't pay up. Whoa! And so at the end of that story, Jesus says, he has showed, um, wrong one, he says, should you not also 
have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? Yes. Showing mercy gives people the opportunity to meet with God. If mercy is a meeting place, if mercy is where God meets with his people, then when we extend mercy, I get it, they don't deserve it, but neither did I. When we extend mercy to someone that doesn't deserve it, you just afforded them the opportunity, especially if they're unbelievers, but even if they are believers, you just afforded them the privilege of meeting with God through you. Amen? Isn't that good? It's very important for us to understand this mercy, this mercy thing. And I want to end with this scripture, Micah 6, 8. He has shown you, O man, what is good. And look at that. He has shown you, O man, man, you, man, what is good. It's another way of saying he has shown you mercy. And what does the Lord require of you since he has shown you what is good? To act justly to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. And if you think about it, those three things encompass basically everything that we just talked about this morning. You guys stand with me.